Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You're listening to Away With Words, the show about language and how we use it. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett. I have a new friend who is a flight attendant for many, many years, and she's been regaling me with the jargon that they use. Oh, boy. And Grant, you're going to love it. It's just delicious. I've got a long, long list here, but let me just share a couple of them with you. Do you know what a two-for-one special is? Uh, No. This is when the plane hits the runway once and goes back up a little bit and then hits the runway again. On the way down? Yes. It's something... The, the pilot is supposed to do if the runway is slick because it breaks the water plane uh-huh. and makes it land more smoothly, wow, actually. Okay. So a two-for-one special, bump, bump. Right. Th- these are things that we've experienced, that we've seen, but we didn't know that there were terms for them. Because we don't fly all the time, but they do, so they need the shorthand. Yes, exactly. You know what the double ding is? Um, that Get in your seat. No. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> what? That's when they reach 10,000 feet. Uh, my friend describes it as the best sound in the world because it means you're almost home. The double ding. Uh, you know, ding, ding. Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and then landing lips. Mm-hmm. What are those? You, when you take have, a guess. When your mouth is closed really tightly because you're nervous. <laughs> I don't know. You're like, that's a great no. guess, but it but it's happier than that. Landing lips are what you put on right before uh, the passengers deplane. The fake smile. Thank you. Well, Thank you. Well, no, you actually put on lipstick oh, because I, see. I mean most flight attendants are, are female, mm-hmm, right? So, so you have landing Some of them lips. Do it too, but yeah. yeah, yeah, and boarding lips too, so that so that you can you know present put a on good your front, sure. right? That's that's expected. One more term: equipment. The coffee maker, the most important thing on the plane. I love that you said that because no? because they regularly refer to planes as the equipment. Oh, okay. Isn't that great? Just a giant multi-ton vehicle yeah, is the just equipment. equipment. Right. Are we taking the equipment back? Sounds it's... like something you could fit in a shirt pocket. <laughs> <laughs> right, but it's but it's not. And I have lots and lots of these. Some of them are a little naughty, and maybe I'll share some of those Ooh, later in the show. Delicious. But anyway, um, we love to hear about jargon from anybody's workplace. So call us, 877-929-9673, or send it an email to words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Yes, hi, this is Jennifer Briggs from Crawfordville, Florida. Hi, Jennifer. Welcome to the show. Hey, Jennifer. What's up? Well, I um, come from a family of engineers, and we were at a dinner, and someone said, well, that's as dead as a doornail. And the engineers couldn't figure out what a doornail was, so they kind of took a different route with it, and I guess there may have been beer served there, but somebody said maybe it's... (laughs) A dorn ale, and it's bad beer, so it's dead as a dorn ale <laughs> instead of a doornail. That's funny. <laughs> I don't know where that, so we couldn't figure out that. Oh my God, there may have been beer served. <laughs> <laughs> I know how that goes. Mayhaps, engineers and beer. <laughs> and they probably made it themselves, given that they're engineers, right? <laughs> Lots of copper tubing. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Lots of sterilization and bottle caps. Measuring and... everything. Okay, I'm getting the picture. So they actually came up with an etymology of adorn ale? Yes. That's, and it was bad. They made bad beer. <laughs> so it was dead, like flat. Okay. 
Oh, wow. So what would Dorn be in this? This is a misdivision, we call it, where you take a word and you divide it incorrectly into into false component parts. (laughs) My brother did a a job share engineering job in Germany, and I I think there may be an Adorn Germany or something. I don't know where he came up with that. (laughs) A charming little town called Adorn. Keep making their ale even though it's terrible. (laughs) 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 That's great, but it's wrong. Yeah, it's not true. (laughs) Funny, but not true. I kind of figured that. There are a couple of stories about the phrase dead as a doornail. One of them is to think about those big medieval doors that you see in Europe. I mean, this is an expression that goes all the way back to the 1350s, at least. And uh, if you think about those big medieval doors in Europe, those big nails hammered into them look pretty much stuck in there. They're 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 removable, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. They're not going anywhere. So they're basically dead. And Um. in a lot of those doors, um, the knocker would actually knock on the head of one of those big nails. And so that nail is really going to be dead because it's getting hit all the time. So that's that's one theory. Like unusable again or something? Well, Well, they're just... They're, dead means fixed in place. And yeah. This, to, okay. to, like, think of a dead stop, coming to a dead stop. Yeah, okay. yeah. There's another term in carpentry that <laughs> has to do with a nail being dead, and that's if you hammer it all the way into a piece of wood and then you clinch it on the other side by hammering the other side of the nail, then it's in there dead. It's, so you it's can't get it out unless nail. you un- right. curve that pointy end or yeah. somehow have the super strength to yank it out. Yeah, so it may be a pun on the word dead. Yeah. And that's what alliteration helps keep it alive. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, because there have been other (laughs) phrases in English like dead is a herring because most people experienced herring as dead Mm -hmm. in the store. Or dead is mutton, I think, is another one. Dead is mutton, right. Yeah, Yeah, but dead (laughs) as a doornail is more... So that's the best theory said. we have. There are yeah. other theories floating around about where the doornail comes from. And now there's a new one. <laughs> now there's a new one. A doornail. <laughs> but more than likely, it's this actual particular kind of heavy-duty nail banged into a door. Right? Okay. Well, that, I'm surprised they didn't come up with that. Um, well, unless, they're engineers, they are, right? Unless they're medi- medieval architectural <laughs> engineers. Right. No, well, they, not. they are not. <laughs> All mechanical. Everything. Oh, there we yeah, go. Yeah. Everything's yeah. machined. <laughs> right, right. They probably wanted something a little more complicated. Complicated and elegant, right? <laughs> right. Oh, that's funny. Cool. Thanks, well, Jennifer. Well, I will pass that on. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Okay, thanks Bye-bye. a lot. Bye-bye. 877-929-9673. Email words at waywardradio.org. I promised a little dirty airline slang. So I'm going to give you some. Which dirty am I getting? (laughs) (laughs) I know you. You do. You know me too well, Give it to me anyway. Let's hear it. Okay. If an airplane is dirty, what do you think it means? Um, I think that the last flight crew didn't clean up the seats. Well, that's probably literally true. I don't know. But if an airplane is dirty, it means that it has all of the flaps and slats and landing gear hanging down. Okay. So you're flying dirty. Flying dirty. Okay, okay. gotcha. Like you. not streamlined. Yeah. There's lots of weird turbulence because yeah. you're you got projections sticking out everywhere. Exactly. All right. Exactly. I didn't even talk about uh, crotch watch. No, yeah. Well, you know when you're pushing is. the cart down the aisle and you have to watch where you put your body because the passengers are squeezed in so tightly. No. No. What is it? A crotch watch, also known as a groin scan, is when they go up and down to check to make sure that everybody's seatbelt is buckled. Oh, okay. That, is that a makes crotch a lot watch. of sense. All right. <laughs> 
877-929-9673. Email words at waywardradio.org and on Twitter under the handle wayward. Hello, you have a way with words. Hey, this is David from Irving, Texas. Hi, David. Welcome to the show. Well, hello. My question is about uh, the phrase, the green-eyed monster. It's a phrase I've heard growing up uh, representing jealousy. And I know you can be green with envy, but why in the world with jealousy is it a green-eyed monster? The green-eyed monster is first mentioned in Shakespeare in his play Othello. Iago says, Oh, beware, my lord of jealousy, it is the green-eyed monster. But the idea was probably circulating before that. Actually, in um, in The Merchant of Venice, uh, Portia talks about green-eyed jealousy. And so a lot of times Shakespeare picks up ideas that are circulating uh, in the culture and in, in the zeitgeist. So it m- probably existed before that. And it may be related to the old medieval idea of the humors, the four humors in the body and the different colors being related to different emotions, like black bile being connected with melancholy. And green was connected with bile as well. So it may have to do with the bodily humors. So the bile of the body is actually green, right? Is that mm, the stuff that yeah. comes out of the gallbladder next yeah, to the liver, yeah, right? Yeah. Kind of gross. Yeah. 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 So there were there was a lot of um, uh, connection between colors and humors. And actually in French, you're not green with envy. You are yellow with envy. Mm, interesting. Yeah. And, you know, I think I remember that envy and jealousy have often been conflated, that, that mm-hmm. they're not necessarily considered different emotions completely. Oftentimes, you know, particularly in the older works, they're, they're treated as the same because jealousy and envy share a lot of properties where you want something that you can't have, even mm-hmm. if it's just a situation. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people now draw a distinction yeah, between do, the yeah. two, right? So I could see how green with envy and green-eyed monster can be represent two different sides of the same emotional palette. Does that make sense, David? Oh. It makes total sense. So basically, Shakespeare introduced the monster. Oh, he is by far and away, yeah, by far and away the popularizer of this term. We have no records of the green-eyed monster before Othello. Absolutely. He gets a lot of credit for this one. Very good. Thank you. Cool, right? Yeah. Thanks for calling, David. So the whole line from Iago is, Oh, beware, my lord of jealousy, it is the green-eyed monster which doth mock the meat it feeds on. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The cuckold lives in bliss who, certain of his fate, loves not his wronger. So there's this whole idea here that the green-eyed monster desires a thing and yet belittles it and makes fun of it because it can't have a little bit of sour grapes going on there Mm -hmm. too, right? Mm -hmm. Really interesting. Yeah. We love talking about all aspects of language here. 877-929-9673 is the number for you to call to talk about language. Or send us an email. That address is words at waywardradio.org. Just paging through the Dictionary of American Regional English, which like you know I am wont to do, mm-hmm. and I came across the term stepmother slice. Stepmother slice. Yes. And I'm looking at a citation from 1915 that talks about the famous stepmother slice of bread that is too thick to bite. 
There, there are references to it being thick. Too thick you know, to step, bite. Yeah, stepmothers get a bad rap in a lot of languages. Well, you know, in the animal kingdom, adults of both genders tend to kill the young that aren't theirs. So, I mean, stepmothers, she's like the classic character from folklore. And, from folklore. Right, and mythology, yeah, right? Yeah, in ancient Rome. Very yeah, there were so. references to stepmothers. It but the very, stepmother's yeah. like, I was wondering if she took it for herself because the stepmother is perceived as like mm. um, squandering resources on herself and her own offspring rather than the kids that she's taken under her wing that were the children of some other woman. It could be. It could be. It looks like there's no real good explanation, although... Language is not really fair to stepmothers. No, it's I'm not. I'm here to say, you know, the, the German word for pansy, Stiefmutterchen. What's that? Something, uh, stepmother it, something. Yeah, little bitty stepmother. <laughs> um, yeah, because some little pansies have what look like a frown on their, oh, on their you know, they the have flowers. these little markings, right. you know, okay. that's not very nice. Well, language is our bread and butter. Give us a call, 877-929-9673, or email words at waywardradio.org. We're taking a backstage tour at the magic show of the English language. Stick around for more. Listening to Away with Words, the show about language and how we use it. I'm Martha Barnett. And I'm Grant Barrett. And on the line is John Chinesky, our quiz guy. Hello, John. Hi, Grant. Hi, Martha. Hey, John. What's up? Well, I have a nice little puzzle for you. I think you'll like this one. It's pretty fun. In the song, 50 Ways to Leave Your Lover, Mm -hmm. Paul Simon lays out a few words of advice for those looking to end a relationship. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't know if a trained counselor would recommend any of his suggestions, (laughs) uh, but, but I do know that he doesn't even come close to 50. It's got like five. It was like five there, yeah. So I'm going to pick up where he left off. Here are some more ways to leave your lover. Just like Paul does, I'll be addressing a particular person for each way, and I'll give you a clue to the person, that is the name, and then a clue to the method, and you have to give me the lyric, just kind of like it is in the song, okay? Okay. Okay. Let's see how this goes. For example, if I said, oh, Mr. Tyson, even a boxer like you should have no trouble finding a three-wheeled human-powered vehicle on which to make your exit, the answer would be... Leave on a trike, Mike. Yeah, hop on a trike, Mike, or leave on a trike, Mike. Very good. So that's how it's going to work. Okay. Ready to try? Yeah, sure. Let's go. Okay. Just like the song, some of these are forms of transportation, and some of these are just things you do to sort of break it off with someone. Okay. Oh, Ms. Lynch, a successful comic actress and game show host like you certainly has enough cash to flee the scene on a 747. Get on the plane, Jane. (laughs) That's very good. Okay. Nice. Good pitch, too. Oh, Mr. Vicious, no one would expect a punk rocker to go into isolation by adopting a lifestyle that involves total self-sufficiency without using electricity or other public utilities. Get off the The grid, grid, Sid. Sid. Off the grid, Sid. That's one way to do it. Oh, Mr. Giamatti, one of the most popular ways for actors like you to cut ties with their ex is to produce a book that reveals every dirty detail of the relationship. (laughs) Write a tell-all, Paul. (laughs) Write a tell-all, Paul. Very nice, Martha. Oh, Mr. Cronkite, it's not very classy, but you can do what others have done 
just not show up at the church on your wedding day. <laughs> Leave uh, her at the altar, Walter. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, Mr. Liotta, if you're too lazy to walk away, you can just get one of these things that the security guards at the mall use. Get a Segway, Ray. <laughs> <laughs> Hop on a Segway, Ray. Nice. Oh, man. Oh, Ms. Orman, surely a financial whiz like you has enough set aside to book a four- or five-night trip to the Bahamas on a well-appointed ship. <laughs> Take a cruise, Suze. <laughs> Take a cruise, Suze. Oh, Mr. Nicholson, no doubt a famous actor like you knows that a relationship can end like a movie, slowly becoming darker and darker. Fade black, Jack. <laughs> Martha, we've really found your... Uh, <laughs> My niche. What can I niche say? Right <laughs> Giving people uh, musical advice. <laughs> Finally, oh, Ms. Derrick, the simplest way is just to rise from your chair and exit. Just go, Bo. Get up and go, Get Bo. Up and go. Get up and go, <laughs> Bo. Very good. So there are seven ways to leave your lover, or ten ways, or nine ways to leave your lover. <laughs> Good nice. luck, you guys. Great yeah. stuff, Thanks, John. John. We'll talk to you next week. You're welcome. Talk to you then. This is a show about words and language and how we use them. We welcome your calls and emails. Try us on Twitter at the handle W-A-Y-W-O-R-D. Give us a call at 877-929-9673 or send an email to words at waywardradio.org. Hello. You have a way with words. Hi. This is Martha. This is Martha. And, and there's Grant. Phil. Hey there. And what's up? Is, okay. This is Phil Blackwell. I'm calling from Whitewater, Wisconsin southeastern part of the state. Hi, Phil. Hi, Phil. Uh, we were at dinner a couple of weeks ago with our um, 42-year-old son and his wife, their two small children, and our daughter-in-law's parents who were visiting from Connecticut. And during dinner, uh, I saw that our son had some food on his chin, and so in good Blackwell family fashion, I just said, hey, Pete, uh, gazelle on the lawn. So he wiped the food off. And uh, the mother of our daughter-in-law looked at me and said, what did you say? I said, well, I, I just said gazelle on the lawn, and that Pete had food on his face. And she said, where did that come from? Well, that's something that we learned in our Blackwell family generations ago, and it's always been kind of fun for us to sit there and use that as a way of uh, giving notice to somebody that they had food on their chin or their upper lip. But I'm interested to know, assuming that we did not make that up, where, where did that come from, and was that ever used seriously as if someone expected to look out the window and see a gazelle and thereby diverting the guest's attention? <laughs> <laughs> or was it always kind of a humorous way of saying something that needed to be said and it was a kind of a non-offensive way of doing it? Uh-huh. Ooh, I like this one. We've tackled this before, right? Yeah. A couple of years yeah, ago. Yeah, gazelle on the lawn. So you're going to love this, but I have some questions first. You said that this is a part of the Blackwell family history. How far back? Well, I remember when I was a little kid sitting at my grandparents' house in uh, in Ohio, and this was sort of a normal uh, pattern of speech. And they came from England. My dad was born in Manchester, but came over as a kid. Oh, so let me ask you one question about your grandfather. Did he serve in the military? And if he did, where? 
I don't know. He was a uh, police officer by the time he got to Cleveland, but I'm not aware of military service before that. Here's Mm. why. We know that this expression goes back at least 100 years to the Arabic-speaking countries, including countries that derive some of their language features from Arabic but don't actually currently speak Arabic, for example, in India and Bangladesh and so forth. Mm. And there's an expression in Arabic which you use to basically say it's literally the same thing. There is a gazelle in the garden. What you mean is that you have some kind of material or food or something in your beard. And the garden is a word bustan or something like that. Bustan. That but means both forest or small grove of trees and it can also mean beard by poetic license as well. So if you're talking about a gazelle in the garden you mean you have something in your beard. And so we find this as far back as 1906 in the Journal of the Asiatic Society of Bengal. So which would be Bangladesh basically. Mm. Um, it's super cool, right? To take, so that's why I was wondering if he had served in the, the British military, mm-hmm. perhaps was stationed in somewhere in South Asia or somewhere in the Middle East. You just never know. where that Maybe that's where he picked it up. Oh. Was it ever intended seriously to divert guests' attention, or was it just a uh, polite way of saying that you better clean off your upper lip? Well, it's polite and poetic. You know, Arabic has a great deal of poetry built into it in the form of proverbs and sayings and and colloquial expressions. We do in English as well, but ours either become so embedded in the language that we forget that they're idiomatic or proverbial or they're joking, you know. But in mm-hmm. Arabic, the, they're, they're a rich part of, such a rich part of the language that I've had Arabic speakers tell me that they can't, actually, they can't actually do without them or else they feel that their language is barren. And it's mm-hmm. like a, it's soil with nothing growing on it unless they can use these poetic expressions. And so I think that this is just one of those expressions that you use, started as poetry or um, metaphorical way of talking so that you wouldn't cause offense. All humans do this. We speak indirectly about others in Mm -hmm. order not to cause offense. And this is a great way of doing that. Yeah, it sounds metaphorical to me, too. I'm thinking about a phrase in Spanish for if you have something sort of in in your nose or slightly hanging from it. um, The the phrase is pan en el horno, which is you have bread in the oven, you know, or you have a bat in the cave. Mm -hmm. I've heard that one, yeah. (laughs) Thank you so much for your call. Really appreciate it. Give us another call sometime, all right? All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, we know something weird is going on in your family. We don't only want to hear the language <laughs> parts, 877-929-9673, or send in an email to words at waywardradio.org, or join us on Facebook. We have a Facebook page and a Facebook group, and they are hopping. Some more airline slang for you. Backside of the clock. Backside? Is this the return leg on a journey? It has to do with, with actually traveling. It's it's when you go to a really extremely different time zone. Oh, cool. You're flying backside of the clock. No. Sounds like a great title for a book or movie. Yeah, backside of the clock. Something from Back to the Future. Right? I know. I know. It gives you a mental image to And it reminds it? me of the old CB radio slang of catch it on the flip flop yeah, for some reason. Yeah, catch on the flip flop, good buddy. <laughs> 10 4. 10 4. <laughs> What's your 20? What's your language question? Call us, 877-929-9673, or send it an email to words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, this is Elisa calling from Long Island, New York. Elisa from Long Island. Hi, Elisa. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, sure, no problem. What's going on? Well, I have a question about the pronunciation of a word. The word frequent and frequently, I pronounce those that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when I'm thinking about the verb, I always pronounced it frequent. 
And my cousin made fun of me because she said, frequent is not a word. And I was like, oh, okay. So then I've been saying it as I frequent this place. But I was listening to this British podcast and uh, one of the hosts actually pronounces it frequent. Mm -hmm. So now I don't know who is right. Okay, mm. we like this. What, what podcast yeah. was it? Just so we know, uh, it's called Answer Me This. Oh yeah, she does sure. a great show. Yeah, yeah top top notch stuff. Okay. Helen Zaltzman, right? Yes. Really interesting about the verbs in English is that generally, if we have a two syllable noun, the first syllable has the stress on it. If we have a two syllable verb, the second syllable has the stress on it. This is generally tons of exceptions, and it depends where you live, which dialect you speak, and so forth, and actually what era you are inhabiting. Right? Get in a time machine. Perhaps it'll be different a hundred years ago, or even just fifty, depending where in the country you are or in the world. And so, I am not surprised to find that you ran into difficulty with this. Because frequent is not a strong candidate for the typical example of a verb whose second syllable has stress on it. That's what's happening there. But in any case, so this rule generally applies, but it's not universal. And it's kind of um, catch as catch can in English. It has moved faster in some dialects than it has in others to kind of standardize this. We have, as I've mentioned before, these conflicting things happening in English where we strive to make the English more like itself. We try to remove the irregularities and make it behave a little more consistently. And so some of the verbs are doing that quite nicely, but some of them are not. Okay, so it's not a matter of, of British versus American no, mm -mm, English. No, it's not at all. Not, yeah. not, a, not across the whole spectrum of two-syllable verbs and nouns. It isn't. There's a really great page, by the way. I don't usually say this about Wikipedia, but I'm going to say this. But under the entry for heteronyms on Wikipedia, there's a really great list of these words where the noun and the verb are spelled the same, but they have stress on the different syllable. Or else there's something different about the pronunciation when you compare the noun and the verb or the noun and the adjective, the adjective and the verb, and so forth. Cool? Wow, that's really interesting. Yeah. So I can say frequent. Yeah, you can say yes. frequent. No problem with that. Yes, so, I right. say frequent. Yeah. Oh, good. I feel so much better about it now. <laughs> so just to be clear here, because I might have misspoke a little earlier, frequent is the verb and frequent is the adjective. And they have different stress. Frequent has a stress on the second syllable. Frequent has the stress on the first syllable. And they're not the same word, but they have the same root and have related meanings. So you could say, I frequent the library. Mm -hmm. Or you could say, I frequent yeah, the library. I think, you, I think I actually say, I frequent the library. And mm. it might have been because people gave me the cocked eyebrow when they heard me say frequent. Oh. But you know what I think, Elisa? I think you should just do it. Just go for I it. I will. All right. I will just do it. Thank you so much. Yeah, sure. Our pleasure. Thanks for calling. All right. All right. Thanks. Bye-bye. Call us with your language question, 877-929-9673, or send it an email. The address is words at waywardradio.org. And you can find us on Twitter. Our handle is wayward. It's not unusual at all in India to speak more than one language, sometimes two, sometimes three. And I found a great quotation about this the other day from Salman Rushdie, and I wanted to share it. If you listen to the urban speech patterns in India, you'll find it's quite characteristic that a sentence will begin in one language, go through a second language, and end in a third. It's the very playful, very natural result of juggling languages. You're always reaching for the most appropriate phrase.
That's cool, right? I think that's really cool. I mean, we think here about Spanglish, Mm -hmm. which is also very handy that way. But to go through three different languages to come up with what you want to say, I love it. But it's all in your head, and it feels like the same inventory, right? Well, I think you reach for for what works best, right? Right, and uh, you risk in some cultures. For example, if I draw on a French phrase, people might just think I'm being pretentious. Mm. But these are both, or all three, everyday languages, then it's totally cool and normal. Yep, love it. 877-929-9673. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, this is Mark calling from Chico, California. Hello, Mark. How you doing? I'm doing pretty good this morning. Well, I was have what I call a designation frustration. A designation Um, frustration, okay. Yes, and it's looking for a a certain word of how to designate a certain person. Um, My uh, ex-wife has remarried uh, several years ago, and we're all good friends. Uh, her new husband is a wonderful guy, love him to death, love him both to death. And um, so it comes up in conversation when we're hanging out. What What is the designation for your ex-wife's new husband? Is there a word for that? Ooh. I've done a little bit of research, and the closest thing I found was like in an urban dictionary kind of thing, a slang kind of thing. But it is more the opposite sexes. It's a designation for your ex husband's new wife and it's not a very nice one but it, the term is floozy oh yeah floozy, floozy. so, some, so some, sometimes I, and we all share the same sense of humor so sometimes I'll introduce Jesse as my floozy <laughs> but I know that's not the right term so what I'm looking for is is there a real term now Jesse is that is that her husband or is that your ex-wife that's 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 her her uh, new husband. Yeah. Oh, so you're interested oh, okay. in this man as a floozy, which has got a double joke to it. That's great, and so you all get along great. Yeah. Wow. Oh, okay. So, okay. All so right. None of the derogatory ones I was going to suggest work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's the word I was looking for. Floozy is kind of derogatory, but it's, hmm. it's said with a smile, and and then it's it's it, it's a kind of an in joke that we have among us. I'll share okay. two, though, that are derogatory if you want them, just in case. Well, I maybe mean, we can ameliorate them. What are they? Well, one is to call the new spouse of your ex the second shift. <laughs> second shift? <laughs> I got it. And then the next one is even worse. It's to call them Tupperware because they're getting the leftovers. <laughs> oh! <laughs> That's pretty good, too. Oh. Uh, there was some discussion on your Facebook page, and... The one that I recall that someone came up with is also derogatory towards me, I guess. Uh, and it was my replacement. My replacement. My replacement. Oh. Well, <laughs> the latest model, maybe. It, is that derogatory? Yeah, yeah maybe that's... Um... It depends on your level of self-esteem, I suppose. Yes. Right. Mine. Yes. <laughs> well, Yours sounds very healthy. Yeah, I was going to say, the fact that you guys have a great relationship, how that's amazing. It usually doesn't go that way, Mark. Yeah, I don't so. have a term for this. I mean, I don't have any nice ones. But, you know, this is the kind of thing, Mark, uh, we have um, a giant audience that loves to crack jokes and make puns. And I have no doubt in my mind that they will have some suggestions for you if, you, if you're open to listening to them, all right? Yeah, in English or some other language. Yeah, who knows, or... right? Maybe yeah. something. there's something magical in, in Chinese that we'll, we're all going to learn. I don't know. Yeah. I just... Mm. All right. So, Mark, here's what we're going to do. We're going to throw this out to the listeners. If you have a name, a nice one, for your ex-wife's new husband, something Mm -hmm. other than their given name, um, let us know, 877-929-9673, or send it an email to words at waywardradio.org. And, Mark, we'll keep an eye on that and let you know what we find, all right? 
Wonderful. Thank you very much. Yeah, okay, sure. Thanks say for hi to dude. Amy and the new guy. I shall do so. Bye-bye. Bye. So if you have a word for this, what should Mark be calling his ex-wife's new husband? 877-929-9673. Email words at waywardradio.org. Or tell us on Twitter at the handle W-A-Y-W-O-R-D. like to quote Ralph Waldo Emerson and what he said about language being fossil poetry. Mm-hmm. I found another quotation that's sort of related to that uh, from Richard Trench. And it goes, language is the amber in which a thousand precious thoughts have been safely embedded and preserved. I never quite thought about it that way. You know, I think about an insect in amber, but, but precious thoughts. Because a particular construction or phrase, an idiom, must have at one point been brand new. It was the brain, oh, yes. the brainchild of somebody who needed yes. to communicate. Yes, right? Thomas Carlyle said the coldest word was once a glowing new metaphor. Right, you don't pick them off trees; they come to a human mind, and then they spread from there. Yeah, but I, I love the image of them preserved in amber. Mm, nice. And- I wonder if we can make T Rexes out of them. <laughs> Eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three. Email words at waywardradio.org. You're listening to Away With Words, the show about language and how we use it. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett. Sometimes people like to complain that English is going to hell in a handbasket, that it's getting corrupted, that it's being destroyed. But, you know, the truth is that there's been this kind of linguistic hand-wringing going on for centuries. The other day I found a complaint like that from the 14th century. This was a Benedictine monk who wrote that by mixing and mingling, first with Danes and afterwards with Normans, in many cases the country's language is impaired, and some use strange stammering, chattering, snarling, and grating gnashing of teeth. Oh, it sounds terrible. It sounds terrible. Poor English. What's yeah, happening to English? English. Oh. All, all that, uh, you know, Norman French coming in, of course, country and language, which were used <laughs> in that... Uh, in that Are from Norman French. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So <laughs> That's outstanding. And yeah, of course, there's the famous... Nothing new under the sun, right? famous Cicero quote, right? Cicero. This is pretty much in every linguistics 101 task where we're from... The year 258 is calling for a purge of language to get away from the common usage and get rid of the distortions. I'm just summarizing here. But this is, how long ago was that? That's a long time ago. And more modern stuff. I've got one for you. You'll love this. A hundred years ago, when the telephone started to become more common, people railed against the word phone as a shortening of telephone. Oh, yeah. yeah this yeah. guy here, this is Hammond Lamont in the book called English Composition from 1907. Purely typical of the kind of screeds people wrote at the time. Nothing extraordinary about this man at all. He's just one of many. He writes, Still other barbarisms are those words which, though really not in the English language, are used by the ignorant and vulgar. Some of the more common vulgarisms are, and these are on his list, phone, photo, <laughs> Pants, co-ed, exam, gym, bike. Terrible, right? These are all utterly standard now. And talk about being on the wrong side of history. Mm Mm-hmm. So it sounds like the moral of the story, Grant, is language changes, but human nature does not. Give us a call about the things that peeve you off about language, 877-929-9673, or put the whole thing in email to words at waywardradio.org and find a community of other people who are interested in language on Facebook. We have a really active Facebook group. Hi, you have a way with words. 
Hi, my name's Colleen Player, and I'm calling from Dallas. And I had a quick question about the origin of a phrase I heard when I was interning at the Juvenile Detention Center here. Oh, great. Okay. One of the cafeteria workers would uh, say when kids would inevitably get in trouble for doing something that she had told them not to do, such as running in the hallways or not throwing their food away when they were done, um, she would say, one day these kids are going to learn that fat meat's greasy. And I was just wondering where that originated. That fat meets greasy. And they're going to learn what's what. Is that what it means? One day they're going to learn and not get in trouble because she just got through telling them something that they continued doing. And she said, one day they're going to learn fat meets greasy. Was she an African-American speaker? (laughs) Yes. This phrase is heavily associated with African-American vernacular English. As a matter of fact, the African-American linguist Geneva Smitherman has an entry for this in one of her books. Um, The book is called Word from the Mother, Language, and African-Americans. And so she just studies this stuff and has lots of entries on this. And it turns out it's one of those phrases that has never leaped over from African-American English into mainstream American English. So it kind of belongs. Um, And what's really cool about this, you can find this again and again in the historical record novelists use it and newspaper writers use it and people just kind of throw it into their posts online and every single time that I can find because we've talked about this once before on the Mm -hmm. show every single time I can find it it's always an African American user and the reason I'm delighted by this because it just shows that there's still a nice cohesiveness to this dialect of American English. So fat meat's greasy. Yeah so there's two ways to interpret this. Um, It's not just meat that is fat but there's a particular part of the pig that's called fat meat and it's actually usually given as one word Mm -hmm. and so it's cut that's like almost all fat and almost no meat on it. You fry it up, it smells good, you eat it, maybe with some beans or some bread or that sort of thing, and it's super scrumptious. But in general, it's supposed to be considered obvious that fat meat, the tasty stuff, is going to get your hands (laughs) and your face greasy, right? Um, Exactly. So so that's the idea, right? That one day the kids are going to learn what is obvious to everybody else. everybody on the whole planet. Of course, fat meat's greasy. (laughs) So Colleen, what do you make of all that? I think it's great. It sounds like something uh, one of my grandparents would have said, but I wasn't sure where it started, so that's good to know. Yeah, it goes back to about the 1940s, maybe earlier. Well, Colleen, you must be picking up some great language there. We'd love for you to call again if you hear more. Oh, great. I definitely will. Well, thank you so much for calling. Thank you, Martha and Grant. You all have a great day. You too. Take care, ma'am. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. 877-929-9673 is the number to call to talk with us about language, or you can send an email to words at waywardradio.org. Some more airline slang. You know what a leanover is? Oh. <laughs> it doesn't have to do with serving passengers in the aisle. Okay, no, I have no idea. What is it? It's a very short layover with not enough time to lie down. Okay, a lean over. <laughs> yeah. It's a layover. Yes. Got it. Yes, we want to hear your workplace jargon, so call us, 877-929-9673, or send it an email to words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, it's Clayton from Mesa, Arizona. Clayton, welcome to the show. What would you like to talk about? The origin of the English expression, so long. So long. So long. I've heard that the Crusaders brought it back from the Middle East. They bastardized the Arabic salam into so long, and we've kept it ever since. 
Is that right? No, it's probably not right. We've heard that as well. And it's it's interesting. You have a, some vague phonetic similarity there, but the historical record doesn't support it. More than likely, we got this from German, as did many Scandinavian languages. There's a, a version of it, which is adu solange, uh, S-O-L-A-N-G-E. It looks like so long, S-O-L-A-N-G-E, and it means roughly the same thing. And it appears around 1850 in English and a bunch of Scandinavian languages. There is no record of any kind of transition from the Arabic into any of the other European languages at all. We would probably see that in plays or in manuscripts or in in something else. But we just simply do not see that at all. So probably did not come from Arabic. So what does the adieu so longer mean in German? Uh, I know adieu is French means adios. Yeah, uh, goodbye until I see you again. Yeah, probably so long. So long for now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> for me, I learned so long from old-time radio shows. When I was a kid, I would listen to rebroadcasts of like the Jack Benny show or Fred Allen or Fibber McGee and Molly and that sort of thing. And that for some reason, it always seemed to be the way that the the on-microphone guests were parting from each other. So long, so long. And it, it had dropped from being apparently a higher register of English for a while. It was the custom in the more fashionable circles in New York to say so long when they were saying goodbye to each other and then kind of became more common throughout the rest of the country in everyday speech. It's interesting. I always assumed that so long meant it's going to be so long before I see you again. <laughs> Just going to be unbearable. So All right, cool. Okay, thank you. Yeah, All sure. Right. Our pleasure. Thanks for calling. So long. Bye. So long. So long. It's been so long since we heard from you. Call us, 877-929-9673, or send us an email. The address is words at waywardradio.org. I'm so delighted when I come up with a new slang term from a community that I don't belong to because I feel alien. It's like going to, say, a country that you've never visited and seeing the capital for the first time. It's nice. Yes. There's this word headcanon. Headcanon. Any guess? Headcanon. With, um, with one in in the middle. C-A-N-O-N. Headcanon. Oh, headcanon. Um, let me think. Let me think. Okay. Headcanon. Okay. Uh, it's it's the, the canon-like what literature. It is. it is. It is that. Okay. It's the canon you have in your head where you want to get two famous people to Together are two famous characters from two different TV shows together in the same plot or the same scenario because in your mind they belong together. So it's the canon you have in your head. For example, some people want to get Johnny Lee Miller from the show Elementary where he's playing Sherlock Holmes together with Benedict Cumberbatch who plays Sherlock Holmes in the same show where they can have all these kind of jokes about Sherlock Holmes together. In their head canon, these two actors who play Sherlock Holmes are together okay. in a play or a, or a television show or a movie. So I would say in my head canon. In my head canon, Johnny Lee Miller and yeah, Benedict Cumberbatch are starring together. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. There okay, cool. Cool, right? Yeah. 877-929-9673. Email words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Good morning. My name is Wally Edelson. I'm calling from the Panhandle area in Santa Rosa Beach, Florida. Hi, nice. Wally. Hi, Wally. Welcome to the show. Hi there. Well, what would you like to talk with us about? Okay. On vacation, one of my aunts during the summertime would often take me and my sisters to either the Pocono Mountains or the Catskill Mountains, and she always said, we are going to take a trip to upstate New York or upstate Pennsylvania. Now, if my grandmother was taking us for a ride to New Jersey, she never said we're going to upstate New Jersey. She said we're going to take a ride to North Jersey or we're going to go to the 
seashore, South Jersey. I never heard anybody say we're going to upstate Connecticut or upstate Ohio, and I wondered why I've only heard the expression upstate New York over the years and or upstate Pennsylvania. This is a really great question, and it has to do with how much we talk like our neighbors. When we come up with these regional terms, and there's a bunch of these you might use, upstate, downstate, outstate, in the city, in the country, um, up north, and all of these, depending where you are in the country, have a very specific meaning. Maybe they have no meaning, or maybe they have a lot of resonance. In New York City, if you say upstate, you generally mean north of New York City. If you're already north of New York City, you probably mean north of where you currently are. Um, okay. Some people include Westchester and uh, and so forth, but um, generally in New York, New York, it's all up the Hudson River. That's upstate, and that belongs to New York. And there's kind of this local privilege to use upstate. And sometimes they talk about downstate. It's a lot less common, but they do use it. And so other states have come up with their own term. Here in California, for example, we say NorCal or NoCal. There was a, a a uh, failed attempt to brand the north of California as upstate a few years ago, but it didn't stick. And so what we, that's, that's what we say. We say SoCal and NorCal. That's it. That's, that's how we talk about California. We don't say upstate is- California. We don't say downstate California. Well, you say South Florida, <clears throat> North Florida, right. where you are. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you say the exactly. panhandle. Mm-hmm. And a bunch of states have a panhandle, but it's very particular to their own state. Oklahoma has one. Missouri has a boot heel. And so we have these regional designations for areas, usually unofficial, that are passed from person to person that we all understand what they mean. And it's, again, it's just like local slang or it's just like um, local dialects. It belongs to a place and a people. Mm. So it's really idiosyncratic then. Uh, no- yeah. Nothing consistent across no, the No, nothing states. consistent. There's no formal way to come up with these terms. That is fascinating because what prompted me to ask that question is I was listening to your program a couple weeks ago and a gentleman was on the air with you. He was in Manhattan and he said, I just returned from upstate New York, and of course that just put a a, a signal for me to (laughs) be brave and pick up the phone and call this station. Right. (laughs) There we go, yeah. Well, it wasn't that scary when she got on, right? (laughs) No, it was easy. It was easy as a breeze. I really love the show. I've learned a lot about culture, about language, about regions. And I applaud you for keeping this show going. It's fantastic. Thank, Thank you, you very so much, much, Wally. It's our pleasure to talk to you. Thanks yeah, for calling Yeah, we today. appreciate your calling. My pleasure. Bye-bye. Bye now. Okay, Bye-bye. take, take care. care. So if you move to a new place, listen to your neighbors and <laughs> yeah. use it's whatever confusing. they use, right? One of these shows will have to spend an hour talking about why downtown isn't always down <laughs> and uptown isn't always up. Yeah, let's do that. Yeah, and then there's elevation, too, you know, right. up the road, down the road. What are you talking about? Well, what's going on in your region of the country linguistically? Let us know, 877-929-9673, or send us an email. The address is words at waywardradio.org. Grant, you know what a push present is? Yes, this is a gift that a father buys for a mother 
who just gave birth to their child. Right, because she's just pushed it out after <laughs> carrying it for nine months. Here's a car. <laughs> yeah, here's some diamond earrings. Or whatever or, you, you know, need. Here's a Slurpee. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> right. Here's a. Here's my mother to, to help take care of the kids. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Call us with the slang that's caught your ear, 877-929-9673, or send it to us in email. The address is words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, hi. My name is uh, Keisha Smith. Hi. hi. Where are you calling from, Keisha? Indianapolis, Indiana. All right. Well, welcome to the show. How can we help? I had a question. My mother is from down south. She's 70. Uh, let's see. And they had a ton of sayings which that she had and still uses when I was growing up as a child. Nice. But one of the ones that I've heard so many times was... Instead of cursing, I guess, or saying an expletive, she would say, well, I'll just be John Brown's foot. And I'm like, what? <laughs> John Brown's so, blue foot? Like B-L-U-E? S-L-E-W, yes. uh, I guess. Okay. Oh, slew foot. Yeah, and so instead of, you break a plate, and then, instead of saying, darn it, Oh, John Brown's new foot. And I'm like, um, oh, that's okay. different. <laughs> oh. The slew foot is the key part here, but we can d- describe them both. Slew foot is a foot that is kind of turned to the, twisted or turned to the side or um, got something wrong with it. Mm-hmm. You'll often hear this in terms of an animal that is born uh, with a misshapen uh, paw or leg or that sort of thing. And John Brown, you probably remember from your schooling, was a, an abolitionist, a slavery ab- abolitionist who was hanged for leading right. a raid. And he was often, because he was hanged, he was often um, used as a euphemism for damned. So you would say, I'll be John Brown, you'd mean I'll be damned. So mm. so if you say that I'll be John Brown's slew foot, you mean not only will you be hanged and damned, but it'll be something misshapen about you as well. Oh, wow. So, yeah, that would be kind of bad. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. a pretty bad situation, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> it's, that's interesting. I remember my Aunt Mazo from North Carolina saying foot just as an exclamation. Just without <laughs> must have been the short version of it. <laughs> yeah, maybe so. <laughs> just just foot. And I had a friend whose grandfather was also from the South and she had heard him say, I'll be John Brown. And I'm mm. like, Oh, okay. Mm. Huh. Yeah. Yeah, that's probably exactly <laughs> what uh Grant was talking mm-hmm. about. Yeah. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. Oh, okay, that 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 helped a lot. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Well, we appreciate your calling. All right. Well, thank you. Thank okay. You so thanks, much. Keisha. Bye bye. Mm-hmm. Bye. Bye bye. We love those family expressions. Call us eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three or send them to us in email. That address is words at waywardradio dot org. Some more airline slang for you. Having crew juice on the debrief. Crew juice on the debrief. Um, having alcohol after the passengers have disembarked. Very good. Going to the bar with the crew. <laughs> Let's go. go get some crew juice. <laughs> do they actually say that? <laughs> they do. That they absolutely kind of effective. do. Okay. Let's get some crew juice. Crew juice. 877-929-9673.
Things have come to a pretty bad. That's all for today's broadcast, but don't wait till next week to chat with us. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, iTunes, or SoundCloud. Check out our website, too, at waywardradio.org, where you'll find a dictionary, a newsletter, mobile apps, and a discussion forum. And you can listen to hundreds of past episodes for free. You can also leave us a message anytime, day or night, at 877-929-9673. Share your family's stories about language, or ask us to resolve language disputes at work, home, or in school. You can also email us. That address is words at waywardradio.org. Our senior producer is Stephanie Levine. The show is directed and edited this week by Tim Felton. We have production help from James Ramsey and Tamar Wittenberg. Away With Words is independently produced and distributed by Wayward, Inc., a nonprofit supported by listeners and organizations who believe in lifelong learning and better human communication. The show is coming to you from the Recording Arts Center at Studio West in San Diego, California. Thanks for listening. I'm Martha Barnett. And I'm Grant Barrett. Bye-bye. So long. I like tomato, potato, potato, tomato, tomato. Let's call the whole thing off.